1 Samuel chapter 26 through chapter 28 is where our May 20th reading is going to begin right here on the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. It's kind of a, a bit of a, a longer uh, reading as far as chapters go. Now, of course, I haven't prepared or planned for this, so I don't know. Maybe some of these chapters will be really short. Um, we'll find out together. Let's jump in. Chapter 26, verse 1. Now, some men from Ziph came to Saul at Geba to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Helka, which overlooks Jeshimon. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Halakaf near Jeshem, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had come after him into the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. So uh, we read recently that David had the chance to kill Saul and um, spared his life. And Saul said, oh my gosh, you're way better than I am. But evidently Saul gets angry again. He's like, you know what? I do want to kill David. So here we go again. Verse 5, David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go in there with me? David asked Amalek, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zubra, Joab's brother. I'll go with you, Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep, with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. He's like, come on, take it. Like you, the first time you were kind, but look, he's back trying to kill us again. Kill him while we have the chance. What would David say? Well, let's finish what Abishai says first. Verse 8. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike him twice. He's saying, let's just, we're just going to finish this up. Come on, David. Verse 9, what does David say? No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should take the one he has anointed, but take his spear and the jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. What amazing trust David has. He's patient. God's going to do it. This is, this, I believe it, so I'm just going to, I'm going to let God take care of it. And I wonder if we had a little bit more of that in us, how different things would be. Be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to let God do it in his timing. I'm not going to force things. And yet, I don't know if you're like me, but I tend to force things. David's very different. Verse 12. So David took the sphere and the jug of water that were near Saul's head. Then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up. Because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. David climbed the hill opposite the camp until he was at a safe distance. Then he shouted down to the soldiers, to Abner, son of Ner. Wake up, Abner. Who is it? Abner demanded. Well, Abner, you're a great man, aren't you? David taunted. Where in all Israel is there anyone as mighty? So why haven't you guarded your master, the king, when someone came to kill him? This isn't good at all. I swear by the Lord that you and your men deserve to die because you failed to protect your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around. Where are the king's spear and the jug of water that were beside his head? Saul recognized David's voice and called out, Is that you, my son David? And David replied, Yes, my lord the king. Why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? But now let my lord the king listen to his servant. 
If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept my offering. But if this is simply a human scheme, then may those involved be cursed by the Lord. For they have driven me from my home, so I can no longer live among the Lord's people. And they have said, Go worship pagan, pagan gods. Must I die on foreign soil, far from the presence of the Lord? Why has the king of Israel come out to search for a single flea? Why does he hunt me down like a partridge on the mountains? Then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you, for you valued my life today. I have been a fool and very, very wrong. Here is your spear, O king, David replied. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal, and I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power, for you are the Lord's anointed one. Now, may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all my troubles. And Saul said to David, Blessings on you, my son David. You will do many heroic deeds, and you will surely succeed. Then David went away, and Saul returned home. Chapter 27, verse 1. But David kept thinking to himself, Someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting for me in Israelite territory, and I will finally be safe. So David took his 600 men, so we see that his men is growing. It was 400, now it's 600. That's amazing. And went over and joined Achish of Machay, the king of Gath. David and his men and their families settled there with Achish at Gath. David brought his two wives along with him, Ahimom from Jezreel and Abigail, Nabal's widow, from Carmel. Word soon reached Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he stopped hunting for him. One day David said to Achish, if it is all right with you, we would rather live in one of the country towns instead of here in the royal city. So Achish gave him the town of Ziklag, which still belongs to the kings of Judah to this day. And they lived there among the Philistines for a year and four months. David and his men spent their time raiding the Gezerites, the Gezerites, and the Malachites, people who had lived near Shur toward the land of Egypt since ancient times. David did not leave one person alive in the villages he attacked. He took sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothing before returning home to St. King Achish. Where did you make your raid today? Achish would ask. And David would reply, against the south of Judah, the Jeremites, and the Kenites. No one was left alive to come to Gath and tell where he had really been. This happened again and again while he was living among the Philistines. Achish believed David and thought to himself, by now the people of Israel must hate him bitterly, now he will have to stay here and serve me forever. <laughs> so he's actually killing King Achish's people, but he's lying to King Achish, evidently in a way that is very believable, because Achish is like, oh yeah, he's killing the people of Israel. Um, so David's, David's got everybody fooled here. Chapter 28, verse 1. That was a, Chapter 27 was pretty short. Chapter 28, verse 1. About that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. King Achish told David, You and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. Meanwhile, Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown, and Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. The Philistines set up their camp at Shuam, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gibeloh. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by prophets. Saul then said to his advisors, Find a woman who is a medium, so I can go and ask her what to do. 
His advisors replied, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed? The woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all mediums and all who consult the spirit of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, Well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You deceive me. You are Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a god coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, Saul asked. He is an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized that it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Because I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophet or dreams, so I have called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, Why ask me, since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He was also faint with hunger, for he had not eaten nothing all day and all night. When the woman saw how distraught he was, she said, Sir, I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say and let me give you something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. But Saul refused to eat anything. Then his advisors joined the woman in urging him to eat. So he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had been fattening a calf, so she hurried out and killed it. She took some flour, kneaded it into dough, and baked the unleavened bread. She brought the meal to Saul and his advisors and they ate it. Then they went out into the night. That concludes the Old Testament reading. Moving on to the New Testament, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 54. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling them, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world, but at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> I love that. This, this is an awesome story. Verse 15. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go, too, and die with Jesus. Gotta love Thomas and his sarcasm. 
Jesus, uh, you know, they're, they're going back to where they were almost stoned, and um, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, we need to go back. And Thomas has said, great, we're going to die too. This is just fantastic. <laughs> Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at that last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And that's really the point of this story. Uh, Jesus is the resurrection. So it's not that Jesus simply resurrected or that Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. He does those things, but resurrection is not something he does. It is who he is. If you are united with Jesus, then you will be a part of the resurrection also, my friends. That's what he does. He is recreating, restoring. This is new creation. And when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are made new. Like even right now, you are not a different person, uh, a better person. Sorry, you are a different person, not a better person. You're, you're absolutely brand new. And the Holy Spirit is working in you and transforming you more and more into Christ with every passing day. With the future hope and expectation that at the end of it all, when the resurrection of the dead ultimately happens and Jesus returns as the King of kings, Lord of lords, you will be resurrected into a glorified, perfect state. Why? Because you are united with Jesus. If you trust in him, you repent from your wisdom, your way of doing things, to his wisdom, believing he is who he says he is, the son of the living God, the one who died for the sins of the world. So Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? In verse 27, Martha says this, Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in all the Bible. Verse 35, then Jesus wept. And you'll see it's connected with his anger. A lot of people talk about the wrath of God. You know, how could you have such a vengeful, angry God? But what you see here connected to wrath is sadness. Why does God hate sin so much? Because sin causes death, and he loves his people. And so, yes, there is wrath. There's weeping. Just as anything you love in your life, if you lose it, there is sorrow. And that sorrow feels quite a bit like what? Like anger. That's why you have no idea the things you would do if somebody were to hurt those you love the most. Verse 36. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, 
Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Tattletales. Verse 47. Then the leader, the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this soon, they will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Wow. So you can see, yeah, he's doing miraculous things. So maybe he's actually the Messiah we've been looking for. No, that's not what they say. He's doing miraculous things. So because we might lose the things we hold valuable, we need to destroy him. They don't even care if he's the Messiah or not. Verse 49. Cephas, who, or sorry, Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation, and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. And as a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. And finally, we will be reading Proverbs 15, 22, and 23, and then of course we have the psalm after that. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Plans go wrong for a lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. And now, finally, we'll be praying through the 117th Psalm. It is a whole two verses long. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth. Lord, allow us, um, show us what it looks like to truly praise you. Let us be people who, because we've seen the amazing things you've done in our life, uh, Lord, our only natural response is praise. Verse 2. For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. And yes, Lord, we do praise and thank you for that love, that love most clearly seen in our Savior, Jesus, who lays down his life for us, even though we don't deserve it, sends his spirit to empower us so that we might live this life. In your name I pray, amen. Well, thank you for joining me today. I hope to see you back here tomorrow as we'll be back here doing what we always do, reading through the Bible 